the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today we're discussing another closer injury and a pair of rookie call-ups. But first, we are not going to get to the most interesting player alive today just yet. Because, Eno, I wanted to tell you, I have a new favorite series on Fangraphs, and that's the Eno Saris Pronunciation Guide. I am loving it. <laughs> I actually had to apologize to uh, today's today's uh, today's uh, victim um, on Twitter. <laughs> I, I saw some of the tweets that you received and some of your responses. You were defending yourself. It was quite funny. Yeah, it's I don't I don't know why I'm so bad at it. I actually blame my German heritage because I've taken uh, like about nine years of French, twelve, thirteen years of German, four years of Latin, four years of Japanese. I mean, I've learned languages, and I should know how to say these things. And I wonder, actually, if part of it's that I know these different languages, and I don't know which language to use while I'm parsing this these these names. But well, I feel like when you know that many languages, they all kind of mesh and mix together, and suddenly you don't remember the rules for each one, and it's confusing because it's just like I, I, languages in your, your head. I think so. I use I end up using a lot of French to like decode Spanish and that sounds terrible. Um, and and then I use German to decode all other languages and uh, it sounds pretty bad. Plus if you actually if you go to Europe and you listen to German speaking other languages, you'll hear that we might not be blessed with a natural ability to uh, to speak language as well, other than our own, maybe. Well, uh, I'm just glad that other people recognize your talent for pronouncing names incorrectly because I recognized it immediately upon beginning the podcast. And it <laughs> feels great that this talent is now being exposed. I'm very happy for you. <laughs> On that note, this reminded me uh, a little while ago, my brother told me about this series of YouTube videos where a guy pronounces words and, and names really interestingly. So we're going to play a little game. He actually pronounced a couple of baseball players' names. I am going to play you two of the clips, and you are going to guess which baseball player he is trying to pronounce. Uh, all like I can translate for other people who speak terribly. <laughs> well, find out if that's another skill you possess. So, so here is... The first one, what baseball player is he pronouncing? Trevor Plowyfee. Trevor Plowyfee. I got it. It's Trevor Plouffe. Yes, it is. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> you are correct. Trevor Plouffe. That was one of the better ones, actually. All right. Here is the second baseball player. This, this is a little bit tricky. Around. Hug. Around. I got that got screwed up a bit. I'm gonna start it all over again to give you another another chance to listen to this. Hug around. 
hug a roan. <laughs> what say you? Oh, I don't know that one. That's because this is a Hall of Famer. It's Hank Aaron. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he said, honk our own. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Damn, that was pretty good. <laughs> All right. Let's get to some actual baseball talk, shall we? So we are going to start with the most interesting player alive today. And, and the most searched for player at the moment is actually you, Darvish. But we've talked ad nauseum. Is it ad nauseum or ad nauseum or Mr. Pronouncer? How do you how do you pronounce that word? I say not nauseum, but okay. really don't ask me. <laughs> okay. Well, we've talked enough about you, Darvish. So the number two man is actually Brandon Morrow. So in my best Seinfeld voice, I have to ask you, Eno, what's the deal with Brandon Morrow? <laughs> I. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like he's broken on some level. Like, he's, he's, uh, something's not right. When I look at his stats, I mean, the, he used to be able to get the swinging strikes, but not really have an idea of where it's going. And now he's got the control, but he can't get the swinging strikes. So, you know, at this point, we have 700 innings of him, and he's a, he's over a four ERA and, uh, has a bad whip and doesn't really have ground balls. So I, I'm not that interested anymore. I mean, I'm interested in figuring out what it is, but I'm not that interested in picking him up for any of my teams. Yeah, and he left today's start with forearm tightness, and so far, no real word on the severity of the injury. But it, it doesn't sound like anybody is too concerned, but if I was an owner, I would be seriously concerned because a lot of times forearm tightness is kind of the precursor to an elbow injury or, or maybe even Tommy John surgery. So I would be very nervous, or maybe actually I would be happy if I were an owner because that would give me an excuse to drop him and not continue to wait for a turnaround that might never come. Yeah, I was just trying to use uh, Jeff Zimmerman's uh, injury zone predictor ideas um, on him real quick, and um, he doesn't. he's showing the best zone percentage that he's shown in about five years, so that's not it. Um, and his velocity is actually up a little from last year. So he doesn't have your, your typical ones. Um, let me try and run him through the consistency thing app that he has, the late game consistency app. But I would say that, um, you know, the thing that's interesting to me about him also is that yes, they, you know, it may, may not be a big deal, but before he left the game, I was watching today before they said anything, um, the the announcers were saying things like, well, he just doesn't have his stuff today. And he just looks like he's doesn't have it. And, the, and they sort of were talking about it, and it sounded like they were talking about an injury. Uh, he just doesn't feel it. He just doesn't have his best fastball. And that stuff, you know, it's, there's no you know numbers backing this up or anything, but it just sounded like they were talking about a guy who was hurt. Yeah, well, his fastball velocity was down. I, I didn't. I wasn't really paying attention to the game. I had it on. I heard the announcers. They were saying that he basically topped out at like 91, 92. Normally, he's throwing you know mid 90s uh, in peak form. Uh, so something was clearly wrong, and it's definitely potential to sound the alarm bells. And and his strikeouts have now been missing for over one full season, and he's just not getting the swinging strikes on his slider that he 
used to get. Uh, last two years, his fastball swinging strike rate is also way down. So although the velocity and pitch mix, all of that on the surface looks normal and the same as always, there's got to be something that's changed that's causing him to just not get the strikeouts like he normally is. His first strike percentage is also way down. Um, but then again, it's not too different than what it was pre-2011 when it, it spiked and he kind of maintained that last year. So, yeah, like you said, I mean, this is a guy who's had an ERA over four for most of his career. And we've thought that he's had bad luck in the past and he had good luck uh, last year. And, and now he's just not pitching well, no matter how you slice and dice it. So let's get to a quick game of Would You Rather. And, of course, it, it really depends on how serious that forearm tightness injury is and if he's going to miss a start. So let's assume that he's fine. You know, it was just some tightness. He's not going to miss a start, and he's going to be back for his next spot in the rotation. Would you rather Brandon Morrow or Mike Leak? You know, uh, of the names that that you will, you know, I'm I'm psychic, so I can tell the names you're about to say. Uh, of the names you're about to say, I actually liked Leak the best when I was looking up looking him up. Um, and it's funny because I I like, you know, if I just looked at the names and didn't look at their at their stats, I might like uh, Leak the worst just because I don't really love his stuff. Um, but there's just something very steady Eddie about Leak right now. And, uh, there's one stat that he beats all the rest of the pitches you're about to say, and, and that's strikeouts minus walk by percentage. And, uh, you know, I've seen some work about strikeouts minus walks actually predicts in season better than any of the, um, advanced metrics that we have. So strikeout percentage minus walk percentage beats Sierra beat. FIP beat XFIP. So, um, you know, Leak doesn't have a great uh, strikeout rate, but he has a great walk rate. And between the two, uh, he actually has the most separation. Very interesting. And it's amazing how a simple statistic like strikeouts minus walks is all you really need to analyze a pitcher. And who would have thought? Yeah. And I mean, it does, it's not like he does so badly on the sort of sort of the third arm of pitching third arm of pitching. <laughs> third arm. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine a pitcher who had three arms imagine if he was allowed to switch arms while pitching that it, it wouldn't Where? anymore be a righty or a lefty it would be like a he's a middle like, <laughs> like a center thrower <laughs> you're assuming that third arm comes out of his chest I don't <laughs> where else would it come out of i have no idea two right arms uh, <laughs> oh my God. below one of the other arms <laughs> He's a submarining righty that can go over the top with his other arm. Oh. No, what I'm saying is he's got uh, he's got a pretty decent uh, ground ball rate this year, and we're getting close to the point at which ground ball rate becomes more meaningful. So, um, yeah, I actually I would take Leak. I, you know, he has the benefit of having a decent ERA right now. So. Yeah, um, I mean, for me, Mike Leak is basically replacement level, as is Morrow, because Morrow you can't assume that those strikeouts are coming back. But given Morrow's history, I think his upside is higher than Leak. And since both of them are replacement level and basically are streaming options to me, I would just prefer the guy that has shown that he has the upside to contribute, and that's Morrow. I mean, Leak to me is basically the same as he's always been. Uh, but what about the next guy, Kyle Kendrick? Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't believe in him. 
I don't. Uh, I I know that he's added a little bit. He's got. Um, he's using a split finger more, uh, but uh, he's just. If Leak is sort of averageish when it comes to strikeout rate, Kendrick is worse than average. He doesn't have. He does okay. So he's he's very Leak esque actually, but he has a worse ground ball rate than Leak. Um, he has worse control than Leak. He has worse strikeout rate than Leak. But he, you know, he's very similar. And I do agree with you that Leak doesn't have much upside, and I don't think Kendrick does either. Yeah, I I prefer Leak over Kendrick too. So would you take Morrow over Kendrick? I take more over Kendrick, um, and I, you know, I might be convinced by what you were saying about taking more over Leak just because of upside. But you know, there, I do think the 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 difference between Morrow and Leak is smaller, and that certain teams might have different aims. Like if you wanted someone to just be a surer thing in the back of your rotation in a deep league, giving you good innings and not crapping out as often i might take leak you know but uh in your standard sort of 12 team mixer it's it's better to go for upside especially since you're probably not going to start moro or leak regularly so he's a guy that you're going to in a mixer you're going to have on the end of your bench hoping that they sort of turn it around you know yeah all right here's an interesting pitcher how about edwin jackson moro or jackson for the rest of the year i thought that edwin jackson would have the best strikeout minus walk rate um, going into it. Well, uh, maybe if you're comparing him to like one other player, but Edwin Jackson is never really known for a strikeout minus walk rate type of a uh, statistic. Right. I just figured, well, I think the thing that what's going on here a little bit is you look at his strikeout rate and it's the highest of his career and he's got a, almost a strikeout per inning uh, at 8.8 8 strikeouts per nine. And you might be tempted to say, oh, everything's fine. Um, you know, he's never had great control. He doesn't have great control now. He's got, he's got half his balls are coming on the ground and he's got a strikeout per inning and it's just a bad Babbitt. But, you know, the reason he has a high strikeout per nine rate is because he's been walking so many batters. So he's given himself more opportunity to strike people out. Um, but if you look at his straight K percentage, it's uh, 21%. For his career, it's about 18%. It's a little bit up, but you know, in the last four years, it's been basically around 20%. And uh, league average is 20%. So league average strikeouts per nine is more in the sevens. So he really should be showing a worse strikeout rate than he is. I mean, there's no reason for him to actually have the strikeout rate he has. He has bad, he's bad control. He always has. And um, I'm not sure if the... 50% ground balls is enough to save him otherwise. Yeah, actually, his bad bip right now is at 341. And just like you said, he's walking more batters, which gives him more opportunity to strike out batters. Same as the bad bip, because obviously if his balls on play are going for hits more frequently than they have in the past, then that's more batters he's going to face in an inning, and that's going to inflate his strikeout rate. So his strikeout percentage is actually identical to last year, but his walk percentage is up. Um, but his Sierra for the past four years are they're all essentially identical between 375 and 401 the last four years. But his ERA is really bounced around as his BABIP and his uh, his left on base rate have all jumped around. So I mean, this is essentially the same or very similar pitcher as he's been the last couple of years. So I think easily for me, I would take Edwin Jackson over Morrow. I don't think I remember hearing an answer from you. Are you 
taking Jackson over Morrow, or would you prefer Morrow? Uh, you know, you know, when I'm faced with the the group of pitchers that we're looking at right now, I you said it earlier, but this is it. Just I just think stream. You know, I don't I don't really see anybody. Morrow Morrow has that little bit of okay, maybe here's a guy that I would want to own if he if he got everything right. But um, everybody else on this is, you know, I can say probably everyone else on this list is a four ERA guy with a 1.3 whip um, and maybe like seven plus strikeouts per nine over the rest of the season. But, you know, that's the over the rest of the season. I would love to have some of these pitchers in some situations. I mean, put any of these guys in Miami and I'll pick them up. <laughs> Throw me in Miami, and I'm sure I'll put up. Uh, well, I would give up a run because Justin Ruggiano is going to hit a home run. Obviously, <laughs> you'll be like, "Here it is, Justin." <laughs> yeah, I'm still on the Justin Ruggiano boat. Unfortunately, Miami might not be on that boat for much longer, so I'm crossing my fingers. Uh, anyway, let's move along to Cleveland, where another closer is hurt. This time, Chris Perez is. Down with a shoulder injury, and uh, apparently Vinny Pistano is going to get the first shot at replacing Perez while he's out. But he's coming off of elbow tendonitis and uh, a DL stint himself. So, do you actually think that Pistano is going to hold on to the to roll the role as long as Perez is out? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, he does. He fails the. Uh... He fails the injury test pretty badly uh, on most fronts. Uh, his velocity is down a little bit. Um, his zone percentage is down. He was hurt this year. Uh, so he, he doesn't look good on that. And then there was even talk about him not being able to pitch back-to-backs. Um, so I know that that's definitely a, a, an issue. But, um, you know, Pistano was a guy that, you know, this happened while I was at, at a cookout. Um, on on Sunday, uh, as were a lot of us probably, and uh, I just immediately was like, it's going to be Pistano because Joe Smith is a lefty and manager. No, Joe don't... Smith is a righty. Joe Smith is a righty. Yeah, righty side armor. Really? Right. You can look it up, and I think. Yeah. Well. I thought Joe Smith was a lefty. As I said, I mean, I was doing this at a cookout, so I didn't actually. <laughs> yeah, he's a righty. Well, that's a good one. But, you know, uh, we also did the velocity uh, and strikeout rate um, correlations. And he's a he's a sub 90 percent guy um, with uh, with the strikeout rate below uh, eight for his career. So I just didn't see him as a closer type. I mean, every once in a while, you know, a team will Joe Borowski it up. But um I think for the most part, they're looking for a guy with velocity. And even Pistano these days is not quite your traditional closer. He's down to 91, 91 and a half. Um, but, you know, I think that his one pitch that he throws, um, it's a kind of, I think, like a two-seamer or something. I mean, he's, he throws a slider a lot, too. But that it's all about the fastball for him. And it's just got a lot of movement. It's a nice fastball. You know, he's got elite swinging strike rates um, for most of his career. This year, it's still above average. Um, and uh, as long as he stays in one piece, I think he's got it. And, you know, for, for Perez, it's a shoulder thing. And he's, he's, not, even, he's not even pitching um, for a couple weeks. So I think that uh, I think Perez will be out a while and Pistano will hold on to it for a while. 
I'm going to disagree. I would be surprised if Pistato held on to the job the entire time that Perez is out. I think that velocity is a, a real serious concern. His last two outings, his fastball averaged below 90 miles per hour, which was down significantly from uh, his previous outings. His walk rate is up this year, which uh, is interesting considering he was on the DL with elbow tendonitis. And we always say that elbow issues uh, increase walk rates. And we see that. So you wonder if that elbow just isn't right. His fly ball rate is at 60%, which is awful for a closer because that's going to lead to a lot of home runs. And you don't want that, obviously, in the ninth inning. Uh, you mentioned Joe Smith. He's a side armor, fastball slider guy. That means that he's not going to be good against lefties. So you can kind of cross him off of the list. Uh, you don't want your closer, obviously, who can't get out lefties. Mitchell Boggs, um, he lost the job because of that. Um, also in uh, Miami, um, and his name completely escapes me right now. Um, the, the Miami closer, why? Cishak. Steve Cishak, yes. Seashell by the seashore. He lost his job because he couldn't get lefties out. And uh, Brian Shaw was another option. He's showing pretty good. Uh, well, I don't know. See, the thing is, I just don't like Brian Shaw and Joe Smith here because they, they're both kind of. Like um, gimmick guys, uh, you know, they're 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 obviously major league pitchers, and I'm not. But I'm saying that the they're one guy's an un, sort of an Under Armour kind of guy, side armor, you know. And and Brian Shaw is like this. He got this cutter that he throws like 89. Um, that he throws he throws a cutter like 89 percent of the time. So I feel like these aren't guys that you put in as a closer. I will admit that I'm nervous about Pistano's arm, and if if we're talking about injury, then and, and he loses it to injury, then I'm then I will say yes, I can see that, and I do think that the dark horse here is Cody. Cody. Yes, that's exactly. I was going to even use that term dark horse here, so I completely agree. Yeah, that he's got he's got the big velocity, 95, and uh, curveball as a secondary pitch is a little bit better than being a slider as a secondary pitch, and um, you know he's also got the you know groomed as the closer of the future with the big C and the big F. So um, I think that there's something there. Yeah, AL only leaguers, I think he's the guy to go out and grab while everybody is running to grab Pistano, although he's probably already been picked up, Pistano. But if Cody Allen is still out there in your AL only league, definitely take a chance. If worst comes to worst, you have a pretty good middle reliever that gets you solid ratios. All right, let's move along to a pair of rookie call-ups. Uh, Michael Waka. Or maybe it's Watcha. I don't know. I'm sure Eno knows. And <laughs> waka, 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 waka. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he's going to be called up to start Thursday versus the Royals. And then in Seattle, Dustin Ackley was demoted. And Nick Franklin was called up and will be the starting second baseman for a while. So is Michael Waka somebody to pick up in 12-team mixed leagues? Or is he basically an NL-only guy for the time being? I think that he's, uh, you know, for a guy, for someone struggling uh, in in pitching, in in uh, mixed league, they could they could definitely think about Waka because he's um, he's definitely a scout's delight. I, from what I've seen uh, in spring training, I really enjoyed his stuff. And St. Louis does a really great job with their pitchers, and has a, a home run suppressing park. And so, to me, it seems like he'd it'd be at the very least be a guy that you could start half the time, um, and has the upside to do more than that. 
Well, I'm concerned about Waka because if you look at his AAA strikeout rate, his strikeout per nine is only 5.8, 16.5% K percentage, and that's not good. So, I mean, I thought this guy was supposed to have very good stuff. Obviously, he dominated during spring training and everybody he, – he caught everybody's attention. But I was surprised by the low strikeout rate in AAA, and basically that alone is what's keeping me from getting too excited about him in any leagues. I mean, even in like Tout Wars and Labor, which is a 15-team league, I'm not really that interested in Waka. Yeah, I have him. Um, I will admit that I, when I have him, is uh, is in um, a 15-teamer. Uh, and yes, totally the, the strikeout rate in, in minor leagues is, is concerning. Uh, it is only 50 innings in his last uh, 50 innings or so. It was much better. He had a strikeout rate that was uh, that was almost elite. And then it sort of tanked this year. So I don't know what it is. I, um, I haven't seen him this year. But I will say that I find, I think that he has more upside than... Um, Lions and Gast, um, the, the last two guys that were running out there. Yeah, clearly we can agree on that. All right, let's move on to Seattle, where Fangraphs calls him Nicholas Franklin to continue with the formality of names. You have Michael Morse and you have Howard Kendrick, so I guess it's now Nicholas Franklin and not Nick Franklin. So... Is he somebody who mixed leaguers should be looking into? Uh, you know, I'll probably take a look at him in Tout Wars because I've had a, a carousel of middle infielder coming up because I've had numerous injuries. But aside from dealing with injuries in a 15-teamer, I mean, is he actually going to be worth anything in like a 12-team mixed league? Man, I, I had to, I was so annoyed. Um, Sunday night, I was uh, checking my teams, and someone tweeted at me that Franklin was coming up yesterday. And uh, I couldn't find any corroboration, corroboration anywhere. And, you know, I asked the guy how he knew, and he just said that he, he, he confirmed it, and then they knew they were going to announce on Monday. Um, and I, I own Franklin in three or four dynasty leagues already, but there was this one keeper league, this 15-team keeper league, where I'm running – um, Mark Ellis out at second base right now because I had Rutledge and I was like, I want to pick up Franklin so bad here, but I'd have, I would have, I was dropping either Brantley or, um, Lackey. And, you know, I know that those guys are flawed. If you ask me today, if I would rather have Franklin than one of those guys on that team in specific, I would say yes very much. But at the time, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if this guy's got it right. Uh, you know, I don't know why. I don't know if I can trust him. You know, I haven't heard anything from anyone else. So I didn't do the deal. And I'm on the West Coast. So I went to bed, woke up. Franklin's called up, and Franklin's gone in that league. So anyway, boo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> um, I would say that uh, he's sort of borderline because I, I think of him as a true talent, sort of 280. I, I I really like him as a Neil Walker. I I know that they're both white, and that's not why. But uh, they uh, they both have a little bit better than average strikeout rate, a little bit better than average walk rate, a little bit av- better than average speed, and a little bit better than average power. So it's the kind of guy that you could go 280-15-15 in a full year. Yeah, and actually, he doesn't look that much different from a skills perspective. 
from the man he's replacing, Dustin Ackley. Got some speed, got some power, good walk rate. You know, not a great strikeout rate. And and, and the problem is, is he's probably going to hit at the bottom of the order, ninth in Seattle. Not a great lineup, not a great ballpark. So I just can't really see the upside here with the counting stats because he's not going to get a whole lot of at-bats batting from the bottom of the lineup. So, yeah, he's definitely worth um, only looking into in, in deeper mixed leagues, like a 15-teamer. And then, obviously, AL only leaguers have no choice but to uh, pick him up if he's not already on a team. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't really get too excited about Franklin. I mean, long-term, I don't know. Is he supposed to be that great? Anyway, he did hit 23 home runs in 2010 in 500 and change at bats and 25 steals. That was quite the fantasy season. So, you know, it looks like... Yeah, it came in high A, though. <laughs> it did. It did come in high A. That is true. So... But uh, I would say... I would say that uh, he's been working on a strikeout rate, and this year he cut it down to a career low. Um, so, you know, an 11% strikeout rate, and, 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 you know, he was walking 16% of the time. If he's a guy who comes up and walks more than he strikes out, and shows league average power and can steal 20 bases. Now you're talking about a guy who might hit 300 with double-digit homers, 20 stolen bases. It's still it's still kind of an underwhelming package for mixed leaguers. I mean, you know, it's not it's not even Altuvian. <laughs> that's but, uh, that's what hitters all strive for to be Altuvian. <laughs> and uh, I doubt doubt he's going to have the crazy Altuve. Um, Babib, so I uh, I would see him as a. I think Neil Walker's really it because you know Neil Walker got dropped a lot this year. Walker's, but uh, Walker gets is owned in your typical mixed league. So I think Walker's represents a good a good description of his upside. Yeah, and and Nick Franklin this year actually he doubled his walk rate and cut his strikeout rate in half, which. I don't think in the history of me looking at stats, I've ever seen that before. I mean, that's crazy. So he, so this year he's walked 30 times and only struck out 20 times. So if any of that improvement, if that's somewhat for real and he could actually walk as many times as he strikes out and make really good contact, then that could be a pretty exciting player because if he has a really good eye at the strike zone, then you know he could hit 300 and that could improve his power because he's going to swing at better pitches. But... Uh, it's, it's hard to believe that all of that improvement for, is for real, just given his history. Anyway, let's move along to another guy who is returning today from his suspension in San Diego, Yasmani Grandal, who initially is expected to split time with uh, Nick Hundley, but I don't think that's going to last very long. I mean, Grandal is clearly the superior hitter, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, the one... Wild card for him is that his he's, his strikeout rate has been fairly different um, at at different stops. So if he if his strikeout rate is a little bit higher than it was last year, then his batting average will be lower. Um, but in on base percentage leagues, for sure, he's a great asset. Um, and even in regular leagues, since the bar is so low for catching, I think he's I think he's definitely mixedly relevant. Yeah, OBP leagues, he gets a nice boost. I mean, last year his walk rate. Over 13%, 394 OBP. That's like league leading for a catcher. I mean, that's Joe Maurer, Carlos Santana levels, and that, that's a top-notch rate there. Uh, yeah, it shouldn't take him too much time 
to overtake Nick Hundley and become the everyday catcher. He's got power. Uh, not sure where he'll hit in the lineup, probably sixth or seventh or so. So it's not going to be a great lineup spot. But he's definitely going to have value in all leagues. One catcher leagues, I'm not sure. He's probably going to be borderline, uh, depending on how many teams in your one catcher league. And it'll be kind of uh, a whole group of guys that are, are not too different. That is basically, uh, take your pick. Who do you like? Yeah, that, that you know, probably down from about 10 down to like 20 is, is just a, a minefield. I mean, just take your pick, I guess. Yeah, all right. Last guy I want to talk about is David Phelps, who you mentioned in the uh, article that you published earlier today, Today's Perils of Young Pitching. And I actually have Phelps in both Towers and Labor, and I picked him up only basically for like a couple of weeks because I needed a starter, and I figured, all right, he'll be in the rotation to take over for uh, Ivan Nova, and never did I expect that he would be in the rotation for this long, and he might actually stay in the rotation all season. I mean, is that a possibility, or do you think Nova sneaks back into the rotation and Phelps returns to the bullpen? No, I think he could keep it all season. I mean, uh, they're giving starts to Nuno, so there's uh, there's something going on there. There's definitely a, yeah, a crack. Out, that's why. So Nuno is pitching in place of Andy Pettit. Right, right. So so Pettit and um, if Nova. Pettit was that Nova, you were thinking. Yeah, of- if Pettit and Nova come back, then I suppose there's no room for him. But uh, it's not like Hughes has been pitching lights out. Pettit is old as dirt. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely a uh, chance for him to stick. You know, one of the things that's really interesting about him is his strikeout rate versus his swinging strike rate. Yeah, I just noticed that. And uh... I think he's getting a lot of, a lot of uh, strikeouts looking. And, you know, in, from your piece today, we were talking, um, you can see that strikeout looking have a, a decent correlation year to year. Um, and from other expected strikeout uh, metrics that you know I've worked on or read about in the past, um, the 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 difference between using looking strikes and swing strikes as a predictive uh, thing is very small. Actually, uh, it's smaller than you might think, considering how important swinging strike is. Um, but at the same time, swinging strike is definitely better, and I would rather have a guy with a high swinging strike rate. So. You know, I, I can't say that I'm not nervous about Phelps long term, especially in sort of keeper slash dynasty situations. But uh, in in deeper mixed and, and and definitely in onlys this year, I, I'm just going to ride him because it's not like you're going to get much trade value from him. Yeah, and I'm actually looking at his baseball reference page right now, and indeed his looking strike rate is ridiculous. Uh, it's at 34 percent. League average is around 27 percent. And I'm trying now to bring up the leaderboards to see where he ranks. And uh, that, I would imagine, would be at or near a league-leading looking strike rate. So clearly, and and he did this last year also. Um, Okay, I have the board up, and sure enough, he ranks seventh uh, among all starters in looking strike rate. So that's where all his uh, strikeouts are coming from. And it's the same rate as Clay Buckholtz, Doug Fister, all these guys who basically use command and uh, and control within strike zone to basically put it where they want. And again, he did it last year, so maybe it's not such a fluke. 
And whatever it is, he's got the skill to induce called strikes. So you know, the, the the big sort of boogeyman for this is Vance Worley, who who uh, su- succeeded in the NL on on looking strikes, but then it hasn't been working in the AL this year. Yeah, this is true. Um, and I would say that I think that uh, Phelps has a, a couple more pitches that I believe in um, in terms of his curveball and his changeup, and that uh, I also think that Phelps has better. Uh, walk rates in his future. I mean, he had in the minors, he had a lot of sub uh, two walks per nine years. So um, I do think I I believe he has good command and and control. So I feel like uh, the walks will go down, the strikeouts will go down, and he'll he'll manage to just be better than your average baseball player. Well, that's quite the compliment, you know. I'm sure David <laughs> would be very happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I'd be a bit nervous about Phelps in a 12-team mixed league. Uh, he'd, you know, boring on replacement level, maybe worth a, a buck or two or so. Uh, 15-team mixed league or AL only, I think he'd be pretty solid. I think he has a good chance of remaining in the rotation all year and earning value. Uh, but shallower than that, I'd be a bit nervous that his strikeout rate declines a bit just because, like you, I'd rather see the swinging strikes because I don't think the looking strikes are as sustainable. And uh, it's a little more challenging to bank on that continuing than a swinging strike. And, of course, the fact that he barely averages 90 miles an hour with with his fastball is just uh, another reason why it's hard to bet on him long term. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.